Welcome back to Coming Up for Air with hosts Dominique Simone Levine, Laurie McDougall, and Kayla Solomon. This podcast is produced with love by the Allies and Recovery team in solidarity with our listeners. Come in and sit with us for conversations on the most pertinent topics for families navigating a loved one's addiction. We created this podcast along with the learning modules and discussion blog in support of you. We salute the work you are doing and your dedication to helping your loved one find a way through. And now, coming up for air. Hi, Kayla. Hi, Dominique. How are you this morning? Good. Good morning. So today's topic, what we're discussing today is the evolution of watching the two different groups So Kayla has a group on Wednesday nights. I have a few educational groups, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And just the evolution of those groups and what the progress is for the family members and the allies that attend our groups. So Kayla, you want to get us started? This is very exciting to me because as somebody who's been um, a therapist for a really long time, you don't always get to see the change in real time. And there's something unbelievably powerful about having a group go on for like two years and having the same people and then some additional people show up who are consistently sticking with the program, working the program, using all the resources and tools that we provide, and then coming to the groups to be able to get support to continue this process and also report how they're doing and either things that they're struggling with or things that they're really doing well. And what's fascinating to me is watching the the tools in action. And if you had asked me, I, I just want to confess that some of you know this, that I got trained in this about 18 years ago. And I was like, yeah, this is interesting. And I'm primarily an addiction specialist. I always wanted to work with the people who had the substance use issues. That was my background and that's what I wanted. And I came out of that training and I was like, okay, I'm just gonna stick with the person with the substance use issues because you know they're the ones that are really the hardcore you know, people who need this. And then as we all know, working with the person with the, the substance use is, you know, you don't always see progress or there's relapses. And I had a really tragic experience, which got me into the group because I lost actually the person that I was working with. And then I decided I want to work with the family members. Um, so some of you already know that, but what, what's been so interesting is by doing this group and sticking with it, I actually have come to believe that the only way for the person with a substance use issue to actually not only get into treatment, but really stay on some form of a path is to work with the family. It's a systems issue. If you work with the family members, it actually has unbelievably strong impact on the person who's using substances. If you put me in front of Congress and had me testify, that's what I would say is the family has to be involved, but the family also has to be given the tools and held in a process to be able to keep those tools, to be able to pick up the tools and keep using them because it's a very long, slow process. And I do not believe that people could do this alone. I totally agree with you 100%. I personally think the key to substance use disorder is actually treating the family as a whole. Certainly your loved one needs to be in treatment, some form of treatment. 
And for me, it's a, it's a wide range. There's a whole host of resources out there for your loved one, right? There's, there's medicines, there's counselors, there's IOPs, intensive outpatients, there's partial hospitalization, there's residential, there's lots of different kinds of meetings and exercise programs. And I mean, there's just lots and lots of resources out there for your loved one. But the one key piece that has been missing in all of this is the family member. And I strongly, strongly believe that the family itself plays a huge role in substance use disorder and they need to be treated as a unit, as a whole. And so I agree with you. I, th I think it's a total, total missing, missing piece that is not tapped into. And actually, Dominique, we've talked about this in the past, that it's, it's one of the, the least tapped into resources out there, and it could be pivotal in, the, in, in outcomes. Let's talk about why the family matters. Okay, why when the family is doing the work on themselves and in this relational dynamic with the person using substances, why the family has such a pivotal role. I think that people need to understand the why to be able to engage in this very long and arduous process of slow change and people falling backwards, including those, you know, the people who are the family members. It's like, you're going to try things and it's not going to work, or you're going to try things and you don't do it as well at the first time that you do it. So let's talk about why the family matters in the treatment. And I would love to hear your perspective, Dominique, about this, because you really research this as well. Well, actually, I was going to give you the person in recovery's perspective. In the career of addiction, in my career of addiction, my parents, my family, no one really was paying a lot of attention. No one realized I was high functioning. It went on for decades. I mean, people in my life died and, and still nobody realized, except for one good girlfriend. And she would reach in every couple of years and she would say, look, I can see it. I can see it. Do you see what you did last night? Do you see, do you see what's going on? You need some help. And she would reach in so lovingly. And I would, I would go to the requisite two meetings to make her happy. And then I wouldn't keep going. But I remember her so much in my history, in the times that she came and was honest and held out a hand and was gentle and was, had ideas. And that's, that's what it's like when you train a, a family member to stop looking bitterly or unhappily or with fear and start to recognize that there's some power in reaching in, in this partnering way, in this loving, gentle, connective way and saying, hey, I'm here, I'm here. I, I have to take care of myself and all this. So you might not like everything I'm gonna do, but we're here together and we're gonna defeat this addiction together. And, and because somebody is doing that in a way that is connective and respectful and compassionate, I, the person with addiction, remember it, and, and it made a huge impact on me. And had it been done more frequently, I would only see her every couple of years. So she would just see the progress and point it out every couple of years. But had somebody in my life been doing that on a more regular basis, even a little more regular, I think it would have saved me a few years. I really do. See, and I also believe that if you look at it therapeutically, therapeutically, 
we're relational beings, okay? So everything that we do is connected to relationships. And the fascinating thing to me, like I, if you look at the 12 steps, just as a model, that uh, very often people start off with um, dealing with their alcoholism or drug addiction or whatever, the use of, of a substance. And then as they spend more time dealing with their recovery, the relationship issues come up. And that's where lots of people go into things like Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, because they start to see that there's underlying relationship issues, even if then it's not about what we call addiction to, to other human beings. It's that they see that the often what happens is trauma happens in relationship to other human beings. And so so what happens is that when you get to the bottom of it, if the trauma happens in relationship, the healing has to happen in relationship or else you're operating in a vacuum. And, you know, I, I know, you know, as a parent, it's like, I know that I'm injuring my child, no matter what my intentions are. It's part of being a human being. There's no amazing parenting where you're not going to harm your child in some way, because we're all bringing our own wounds in. So this is not a guilt inducing discussion here. It just is. We are all wounded we're all wounded healers, as I like to say. So when we're parenting, it, it triggers us so intensely that we wind up coming at times from our wounds, which winds up hurting the person. There's also people come on the planet with their own physiology and their own, you know, kind of predetermined ways of being in the world, whether it's increased sensitivity or mental health issues that could be chemical. So there's this whole construct of things that cause life to be difficult for people, we'll say. So what, what happens is when we look at the whatever sliver of it is our part of things about how we're engaging, how we're connecting, what we're imposing on other people, and we start to see it and pull it back, that makes room for healing. That makes room for this other way of being to happen. So when we say, look at your part, it's about looking at the dynamic that you're bringing to this. And then you work on that specifically. It's a power position because if you shift it, so many things can change. And it's where you have the control and, and the control is in your part in that dynamic. So even shifting it a tiny bit incrementally, which is what Kraft would suggest, right? Kraft doesn't just suggest big, hard moves. It says, move very slowly. Can you stop giving him five beers when he comes home and he's needing to drink or you're afraid he's gonna have a seizure? Can you go to four? It's gonna change the dynamic radically between you and there's gonna be upset. And, and then you're gonna keep giving them four and it's gonna settle down and you will have climbed a mountain at just that move because you will have changed the way the two of you are relating around, around the beer. I mean, I totally agree with everything that you're saying. And my process was more, although, you know, I'm not clinically trained. I have taken a few classes, graduate classes or whatever, because I was trying to get my master's degree before before I decided to start um, up the rest stuff, my rest nonprofit. And so I dropped out. But a lot of my learn, my understanding of what we're talking about was done through learning and my journey and a lot of reading and experience. And then also starting up the rest meetings and now working with families 
and kind of pulling families along and, and exploring craft. That's where I've come to the exact same conclusions of what Kayla and Dominique are talking about. And I also, I think that a part of the reason why it's so important is because we are, as human beings, we are social beings. We do interact with one another. Our behavior, the words that we say, the things that we do, do impact others. As family members, we did impact our loved ones while they were growing up or while they're still growing up. Maybe they're just youth and young adults, but we do impact them. Absolutely. And so changing how we interact with our loved ones, of course, is going to change their behavior as well. So the key actually is in my interaction with my loved one. And that is a way in which I'm going to impact their behavior, their thoughts, what they are going to do. And if I am continuing to impact them in the same way, and I agree with Kayla 100%, we as family members and allies bring our own crap to the table. I say it all the time. We do. I do bring my own childhood upbringing, my own responses that I have learned over a period of time. And I do damage to other people in my life because of that. But if I can kind of understand that a little better within myself and I can learn to manage my own garbage, I'm better going to be able to impact or interact with other people in my life. And I also think it's really, really important to also bring up the social aspect of how you as a family member and an ally or just a friend, what you know, whatever it is, that society tells you to behave in a particular way and that your loved one should respond to your behavior in a particular way. And when that isn't happening, it's really confusing and frustrating. And we don't really, family members and allies don't have lots of resources of where to turn to change that, right? And what I mean by that is, is lots of societal norms on families, how you discipline your children, about consequences. You don't often hear a lot about natural consequences. You hear a lot about consequences, ground them. You know, they have to be put in time out or they have to be grounded or you can't go here and you can't, it's punish, punish, punish for what we consider as society negative behavior. And actually as a society, we don't really dig in to, well, what's the root cause of this risky behavior or difficult behavior or challenging behavior? And how can we respond in a more effective, more positive, impactful way? Well, and I, I also think that when what we're looking at is that we don't see our part because the other person is 10 out of 10 misbehaving or doing horrible things or painful things or scary things. So we look like we're so functional, but we've gotten caught up in the dynamic of it, which is anxiety and reactivity and fear and over-involvement and giving advice and trying to fix things. And those are those are things that in some settings look functional, but they get overdeveloped in this one and they become dysfunctional. So it's not like you're not doing it with good intentions, but it's twisted. And I do want to do a shout out to partners and spouses 
because you might not have the history of their childhood, but I will tell you as a couples counselor, <laughs> and this is this is a separate issue, but what happens is that when we, according to Imago, which is the kind of couple of counseling I do, I-M-A-G-O, it's Imago Relationship Therapy. The belief is that when you are drawn to somebody, you do it because you're going to play out your childhood issues, okay? And that might be a confusing thing to talk about, but the idea is that as children, we get wounded and we wind up shrinking to adapt to the family situation. So we're not being our full best self. And so you wind up getting drawn to somebody who is going to trigger you, by the way, ironically enough. And the reason that we do that is because we're on the planet, human beings are the only creatures on the planet that actually can evolve within their own lifetimes, but we're not evolving, changing and becoming something different. We basically are born whole and then we start getting damaged and we shrink. We lose parts of ourselves. We deny and disown them. And so what happens in relationships is we bring somebody into our lives to trigger us so that we could take ourselves back and grow. Now, of course, that is not a pleasant process in, in the belief system that we have in Imago is that if you're given the tools to do the work and to heal, you then get to grow back into your whole self. And so the trigger, which looks like a problem, actually is this opportunity for growth. So everybody who's listening to this podcast, what I want to say to you is you have this a magnificent opportunity to grow, but it does not happen if you don't take pick up the tools and start working on yourself to change and take parts of yourself back. I totally agree with you, Kayla. And, and I think this is the empowerment that we're talking about, yeah. when we, right? And I strongly believe when you explore and you start implementing these skills and you start learning how to kind of come from a place of, of I don't know how to describe it, just peacefulness, compassion, growth, observing someone's behavior, kind of stepping back, that you are actually becoming incredibly empowered. And through that empowerment, you're impacting the world around you, not just your loved one with substance use disorder. It could be friends, it could be other extended family, but you're impacting everybody in a much more positive way. Including yourself. And that's, that's the nice little goal here is that as you do this work and you take parts of yourself back, you grow and can feel more yourself. That's why it's been magnificent to actually watch the group evolve. And again, we use evolution versus tsunami here. Evolution is slow. It's slow. It's very incremental, but you take a step, you fall backwards. You take a step, you fall backwards. But what winds up happening is you are in a different place on the path. Yeah, I, I had the honor of sitting in on your Wednesday night group. So Kayla does a, a craft support, but really emotional support side of things group. And then Lori does these beautiful educational trainings on, on craft itself. It just takes you through the modules bit by bit over weeks, even months sometimes, but taking in also the, the needs of the group. And I sat in on Kayla's meeting and it was remarkable to me to almost to the last person, the fight and through tears, most of them, but the fight to regain themselves in this complicated enmeshed relationship and the starting to use these, these little 
tools, these simple communication tools, these, these simple ways of stepping in and stepping away that you see somebody has like been inoculated with craft. They got it. They, they did one of these little things. They did a couple of them. They were able to maintain the change in them. So maybe they started using I statements instead of you statements. And just that, they saw a shift in their loved one and it gave them some courage to do it some more and to try a few things. And it's like people are bitten in there. They are, they are fighting for their lives. And one woman says that she says, I'm going to survive. I'm going to survive. I'd like for both of us to survive, but I can tell you, I am going to survive. And it is, it's a fight for life and death. It's a, it's a fight for, for your selfhood, your peace, and living a, a day differently than you have in the past with these often very long-standing situations with loved ones with addiction. It's remarkable, just remarkable. Well, and the one thing I would add to that, Dominique, is that I still believe if you're looking at family dynamics, that if guilt and shame is part of the substance use issue, that you're you feel so ashamed about the what how you've affected everybody in your life and that you're destroying your family or you're destroying particular people in your family that when it shifts to watching your loved ones heal like the family members heal take their life back not get sucked into your undertow that that actually provides the space for the person who's dealing with the substance use issue to really focus on themselves and stop worrying about you or stop feeling horrible about what they've done to you. So I think that's a fundamental key here where it's like, it makes a difference to that person. If they're not killing you and watching watching themselves kill you, then they get to focus on themselves. And that's powerful. That's very powerful and probably under-recognized. Yeah in terms of what happens when you change the, that interaction, that, that simple dynamic between two people. The power of it to heal addiction is what we're talking about here. We're saying that treating the family, not even treating in a clinical way, but through these support groups, through these very well put together craft program that we have, through the self-directed modules and exercises, video modules, you can actually get over this mountain and to another way of interacting with your loved one to a point that they improve right in front of you. They improve and it may be as strong an influence as having gone to treatment. That's what we're saying. If you can heal the family, you start to heal the family within, you start to take care of the family member in a way that they're desperate to be taken care of. They need everything, they need support, they need training, they need resources, they need help financing things, they need retreats. I've always wanted to do a three-day retreat for families. Lori and I talk about a conference, but there's such richness in here and such unexplored goodness in this really practical resource that 40% of Americans have somebody in their family with an addiction issue, and they're right there. They're right there with the person with addiction. They're the ones that know them best. They're the ones that can reach in. They're the ones that can heal themselves from the pain of having had a relationship with addiction. So it's a win-win. Nice work, you guys. I'm hoping I can add on to what, what you just said, Dominique, too, because I also think it's really important to understand that, yes, one, we get 
using craft, we are often able to get family members, uh, loved ones rather, into treatment for substance use disorder. But what's really important to understand is there is a percentage of family members that don't go into treatment, although I would really question that a little bit because even though they might not go into what we think of as treatment, utilizing craft, often family, uh, the loved one will engage with, I call them maybe recover, or you call them this, Dominique, recovery activities, right? Become more engaged in, I don't know, maybe exercise or volunteering, or maybe they start to become more engaged in something they were pursuing in the past, like an education or, you know, some kind of an apprenticeship or job. So to me, it might not be a formal, you know, formally identified as treatment, but it's improvement, improvement and a move away from addictive behaviors and kind of being lost in that. So craft also is so supportive. It's, it's such a wonderful life change for the family member that it, it impacts the entire family, even if the loved one doesn't engage in formal thoughts of what treatment is. And an added piece to this is it's such a different life change, such a different way of interacting with the world that let's say your loved one does go to treatment and they've engaged in treatment for a long period of time. Craft is something you're going to continue to utilize long after the person comes home or doesn't come home or leaves treatment or what I found is it changed me as a person, as how I interact with my world. And my loved one has been in recovery now, or I don't like to say in recovery because I like to say working on his recovery for a good seven years now. And it has totally changed my relationship with him in a very positive, positive way. And the outcomes are absolutely better than they were. And I'm not going to say that we're not going to have downward trends sometimes. We, we probably are. And things could completely go off the rails. But what I can say is that I'm better because of craft and allies and recovery. And I'm going to use the word function again, because you know I'm obsessed with that, that there's the recovery, there's abstinence, there's all this stuff. But I have now turned everything around to look at function. That's my new thing. So let's start with the basics that you're engaging with your loved ones in a different way, which cannot help them engaging with you in a different way. And that's what that's the, the part that blows me away being part of this group, watching the group, is that I'm witnessing the loved ones communicating with their family members differently because of this, because as their family members change how they communicate, the loved ones are changing how they communicate. And if the injury started with relationships and you're starting to repair relationships, that's function. Okay. So even if it's subtle and they're not yelling as much or they're not blaming you as much incrementally, then there's already progress. And and I think what you said, Lori, is really important that I do not see this as, okay, I worked through the modules and I went through, and my loved one is in this place. I'm done, you know, clean my hands of it. This is lifetime. Okay. And that 
you're going to get setbacks. They're going to get setbacks. We're all, we all get setbacks. So that's what life is like. It's like, it's not a straight line where you're on the path and you just get to, you know, Oz and you're done. It's that there's forward steps and backward steps. So to be able to step in and have the kind of support to keep this going and just know the longer you're doing it, the more skilled you are, which is a really nice thing. <laughs> There's one thing I, I do want to clear up because I want to make it really clear about the groups that I host on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday nights. I want everybody to know that that I changed the name of the groups. I do kind of want to talk about the evening, the evening groups on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday nights because I want people to understand that I changed, I kind of changed the description of them to educational groups from support groups. Because a lot of people thought that they were, they would ask me all the time, is this like Al-Anon or Naranon? And I would have to say, no, it's not the same because they are educational in the fact that we're learning all things about substance use disorder and it is craft-based. So yes, we are learning craft. We use Allies in Recovery as the curriculum. We go to those e-learning modules and we do craft. But those educational meetings, which is why I now label them educational meetings, they are loaded with support, tons and tons of support. And actually, it takes me a good year to get through the Allies in Recovery curriculum in those meetings because we dig in so darn deep and we look at all aspects. Like we'll go through all of the, all of the different skills and we'll face like, what are some complications and how did it go for you? Can you share with the group? What are your questions? How can we brainstorm to, to figure out solutions to any complications that come along with it? And we do go into a lot of self-care and self-compassion. And in fact, that's where we are right now in our meetings because during the holidays, it's such a difficult time. It's so overwhelming and so stressful that I kind of choose it that way and facilitate it that way that we're gonna we're gonna really attack self-compassion and self-care during this month. And I do want to say that I experience a lot of what Kayla experiences and how empowering and how wonderful it is to get to witness these families going through their process and coming out on the other side. It's so emotional. And then to see those families that have now kind of, kind of moved to a different part of their journey to now reach out in the meetings and support other families that are newer on their journey. And it's just incredibly powerful. Although I feel like oftentimes I'm in there for those family members. That's why I'm there. But boy, oh boy, witnessing, I feel so privileged with what I get to witness that it's so emotional for me that my facilitating of those meetings, it soothes my soul. It just, yeah. it's something for me at the same time. I feel the same way. It's like, it's so inspiring. And I call them the rock stars because I watched my group and they help each other and they're doing the work and they model it. And, and, you know, the other thing that I just want, you to know, Lori, about your group is that I call your group a skills building group because it's educational, but it's also 
the support in actually implementing the skills? Because to me, educational is data. But what you're doing is you're working with people to actually look at the skills, practice the skills, look at what's in the way of the skills, and then the emotional part of it so that they could actually implement them. And that, to me, is much more comprehensive than educational. We do dig in deep. Like, actually, we, we've been this week, we've been watching a video Dr. Ruth Poti, and I know Dominique, I know, I know you know Dr. Poti. Kayla, you might. She's out of Greenfield, but oh yes, I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I knew, I knew, yeah, I know. You're shaking your head no, but I have a feeling you do know who she is. I know of her. Yeah, yeah. And so she goes into a great description about the brain and all of that um, with substance use disorder. And so so we really do dig into the educational piece. So yeah, I guess one of the best ways to describe the group would be educational craft skills, craft skills and strategies, and lots of support all at the same time, right? It's like this melding of all of this stuff wrapped up in a nice neat bow. <laughs> and it doesn't matter at what point you're at or with who you love and what that relationship is. I mean, this is these improvements can be can be had for anyone. So I urge anyone listening to this that hasn't attended one or the other or, or done what a lot of people do and attend a few a week, some of Kayla and some of Lori to, to check us out. It's an amazing thing to witness. I, I attended Lori's a few months ago and Kayla's last week. My heart is filled with what we have created, ladies. So thank you very much. Okay, so Kayla. I'll wrap it up. You could wrap it up, but Kayla and Dominique, this has actually been a wonderful conversation. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. And just, I want our listeners to know right now, I've got warm, fuzzy feelings in my belly and in my heart for all of you, because you're a part of the allies and recovery community. And we really do care. We care about everybody. We, we really want healing for family members and for the community. Kayla, can you wrap it up for us? Yeah, so the way I would wrap it up is that, you know, if you're listening to this, then you're thinking about or doing the work to shift yourself, to assist your loved one in whatever healing that they could get involved with. And what we're talking about is start with yourself, start with your own healing. And I personally do not believe that healing can be done alone. And what I love about the Allies in Recovery program is that you do not have to do it alone at all. There's these amazing group of people out there that are doing the work and you get to choose to be part of it and then have the support that you need, not to just have this as concepts, but listen and participate in how to actually implement the tools that we're talking about and get the support that you need to heal and to grow and to shift and to change. And ultimately, that's the, the work that needs to get done to help your loved one. It's the most powerful set of tools that you could possibly imagine and not focusing on them, but focusing on yourself. Well, thank you. Thank you, ladies. And remember, everybody, we really care. Yes, we do. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode of Coming Up for Air spoke to you. If you're listening in today on a podcast platform that isn't the Allies member site, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating. This helps others find the show more easily. If you have a suggestion for a new topic or a guest for the show, please reach out through the Contact Us form on alliesinrecovery.net. Special thanks to our hosts, our guests, and our production team. <laughs>